and welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Erica Olaniak. Erica is probably best remembered for her roles in Under Siege, The Beverly Hillbillies, Bordello of Blood, and of course, Baywatch. We talk about all that, but her first role that got her involved in movies was a small but very important one in E.T. She talks about how she got the role and her experiences working with Steven Spielberg. She was in Playboy five times and it was kind of serendipitous how one of her spreads, it was a nautical spread, got into Under Siege and we talk about working with Steven Seagal and Gary Busey and of course Tommy Lee Jones. Erica could not be any nicer. We talk about what she's up to these days and this interview took place about two months ago, so it was right when school was starting. So we talk about beginning of school, kids, my kids, her daughter, and I hope you like this conversation I had with Erica. And helping me relive my youth today is Erica Laniak. Erica, how are you today? Hi, I'm good. I'm actually having an amazing Wishes Do Come True Wednesday. Thank you very much. I hope you are too. Oh my God. Uh, it's like 800 degrees here in Connecticut today. And yeah, it's brutal. And um, both my kids go back to school tomorrow. My son starts high school. He's going to be a freshman. And oh, I know oh my God. it flies by. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I'm okay. Uh, my, my wife is, you know, a wreck. But um, after this interview, we're going to his school, kind of an orientation tonight. Uh, we had our open house for my daughter, who's going to third grade, and the AC in her school wasn't working. So it was like oh, so hot in there. Oh, no, we've been brutally hot too, but last couple days we've been climbing again, but we cooled off a bit. Do you guys have crazy humidity? You do, though. Yeah. Oh, crazy. yeah. Pretty That's brutal. the problem. Absolutely. So, you know, we're going to go swimming before, but like now, just stay inside in the AC. It'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, uh, yeah, like, thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it. So let's, um, yeah, let's uh, go way back. Um, when did you first decide that you wanted to go into acting? You know, I didn't. For me, that the way it happened was sort of, um, I guess, well, I believe so much in everything happening for a reason. So, but it was something that sort of I fell into. My father, I was 10 years old, and my father was at the time dating a wonderful lady who worked for a film company. And whenever they needed extras for, you know, consoles where they would do trainee films, training films for, um, you know, employees that would work, say, back right. then it was Pioneer Chicken or something like that. My little sister is four years younger than I am, and I would go and join my dad, and we would do these commercials. So, you know, he had asked me at one point then and said, do you want to try acting? And I said, okay, sure, why not? <laughs> and um, so that's kind of, you know, I started out real slow, a couple commercials, actually theater, doing plays. Um, and then my mom, because my parents were divorced, and my mom took over a few years later, and she was really the opposite of a stage mother. Okay. So I booked jobs that, you know, especially modeling jobs, if they wanted me to be much older looking with makeup and stuff, I would book a job and then she would pull it. <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't able to do it. She kept me in school and, you know, I'm super grateful because I graduated high school, did a little bit of college, but 
then I went straight on to Baywatch. But I had a very normal, even though I started when I was 10, I wasn't always on set all the time. You know, I had also had a normal childhood as well. So that was pretty important, I think, for right. me. Right, and it, it was kind of like, I don't want to say tough for you, but like uh, pretty tough, for, I guess you can say, for your mom and you to decide after the success of E.T. to kind of have that normal ch- childhood, correct? Well, you know, yeah, I remember it's funny. When E.T. came out, um, gosh, I was 12 years old, and I remember we lived in an apartment building, and there were these two little kids that must have lived in our building. I didn't really recognize them as neighbors, but they had asked me for my autograph, <laughs> and I ran upstairs and cried. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was so weird, and so all I ever wanted to do when I was that age was not down, stand out and fit in. Right. And so it was just awful. And But the funny thing is now, you know, you live and you learn. I have a daughter the exact same age, and I tell her and I tell my students because I teach acting, um, I tell them you must stand out, you know, right. just do it humbly and do it kindly. But, you know, you got to stand out. you got to be you. you got to be your unique self. But it's funny. It's just the opposite. It's when you're in it. <laughs> Hindsight, of course, is one thing. But when you're in it, it's, uh, it's a different experience. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'll get to E.T. Uh, in a second. But now you mentioned your daughter, who now is 12 years old. Now, if she came to you yeah. and said that she would want to do some commercials or even some acting, what would you like? Uh, what would be your response to her? Well, we could tell, you know, we've had this conversation before. And she was in my acting class for a little while and really mostly because I'm a single mom. So when right. mom goes to work, she comes. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, you know, you might as well join. Right. Um, that was actually a few years back. But um, she has no interest okay. whatsoever at all. In fact, when she did dance classes, she loved dancing. But when it came time every year to perform, she was in school. Hmm. Same thing now in choir, you know, with her school. They do a lot of performances. Um, she loves singing, loves being in class and having that experience, but she can't stand performing. So every year, come performance time, she's irritated and wants me to pull her out of choir. Right. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not the way it works. You cannot do that. You can't sign up for a performance class and then not perform. Right. So I'm actually thrilled that she has no desire to, but honestly, no, she was serious about it. And I, you know, you know your kid, right? If of they're course. really into it, and she's living and breathing it at home, and that's what she really wanted to do. Of course, I would support her. Of course, um, you know, and that's tough for parents for sure. Because when you have a kid who's going up commercials and things, and a lot of children's auditions, they're going to be they have to be after school and on the weekends. So, and we live outside of Los Angeles County. We're not in LA County. Right. So we're quite a distance away. So if she really wanted to do it, honestly, it would be, um, it would definitely be challenging because it's all me, right? So yeah. I'm a single parent. I need to bring home the bacon, of go course. to work. Yeah. In school part-time, you know, there's just a lot going on. So I'm actually really happy. <laughs> she does not want to do it. Exactly. And, you know, even if she wants to, you know, go into that years later, she has time. Let her enjoy her childhood, pick out what she wants that's to right. do now. Yeah, that's, I don't, I don't pressure 100%. my, exactly. I don't pressure my kids to do anything. Let, let them learn, you know, if they want to do something, I'm 100% behind them. If they don't, I'm not right. going to force them. Schoolwork, of course, but, yeah. you know, nothing else like that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I think that's awesome. And I think it's the best way to go. Let my heart, my, I put my daughter in since she was about two. And she finally quit 
They feel like she's 12 now. So I think she probably quit when she was 10. So she goes for eight years. And I always, always, always thought that was so important because she's not into sports. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a sporty mom. Right. And my best friends are. They're going to a Dodger game next Saturday. They live at Sparks. I mean, they're go, they actually go. Like They buy tickets, and they're all about the sports all the time. I'm not. I didn't grow up that way. I'm not. So for her, it was just really important for me that she did something. You know, a sport would be great. But if she didn't want to, dance, whatever. So when she um, wanted to quit dancing because performing... Um, I was heartbroken, but I said, okay, but then you need to do, you know, something else, something sporty. And, um, that fell by the wayside, right. too. I think she ended up in art class. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, they have to do their own thing. It does no good. I think it's so counterproductive for parents to force their kids into doing things, because it's just going to backfire. I of mean, course. they may appease you for a certain period of time, but what good is it if they're not into it and they're going to quit anyway when they're old enough to do that, so... Yeah, you're abs- you're absolutely right. Hone in their passion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My my daughter now does dance. Oh, she did dance. Now she's on to gymnastics when she does cartwheels around the house all the time. You know, into soccer. Yeah. My son's in soccer, so they have that. And if they wanted to quit now, they did it for a while, and you know, move on to the next thing. So it's like we're not going to force them yeah. to do something that they totally don't want to do. You know. Exactly. Yeah. So now, like, um, you know, going back to uh, ET for a second. Now you're 12 years old. Right. I mean, your cast is the pretty girl, and um, <laughs> it was. I mean, obviously, the movie. You know, you're looking back now is one of the best movies of, of all time. Now, filming that movie, did you know that it would kind of blow up the way it did? Oh gosh, no. Mm-hmm. First of all, I was 12 years old, and I didn't at the time know who Steven Spielberg was. Okay. I mean, it was 1982. Um, so I actually was in a performer's audition showcase from an acting class, which was um, seen by a talent scout for Steven Spielberg who happened to be in the audience. And it was really talk about serendipitous because it was an adult showcase, but because my scene partner, it was a father-daughter scene, I was asked to help him out in the adult showcase because he helped me in mine in the kids showcase so I did and there happened to be a scout for Steven in that audience so they had brought me in for this audition and I was with a modeling agency I was with Wilhelmina back then and so it was really just so out of he was very random and I remember going in and talking with him and um, you know he just finally said hey let me see how tall you are because you're pretty tall he said, okay, well, do you want to be in my movie? And I said, okay. And literally, we were given a fake name. Right. And we give you a little fun fact. We were told it was called A Bull Life. So in the very opening sequence of the, of the film, it's an opening shot of a boy doing the paper route on his bicycle. And he right. goes down a deserted street, like in town. And there's a marquee. And on the marquee, it says, A Boy's <laughs> So, um... That was kind of a cool little thing, that a little hidden thing that Steve did. But a fake work title, because really funny. no one to know. All I knew is this was about a boy and an alien, and at 12, you just roll your eyes. You're like, whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, but it was fun, and he was so amazing. My experience with him was that he was just a big kid. Right. And I, I remember when the scented pens had just come out, those markers that were scented. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember... <laughs> Remember those? Of course, yeah. <laughs> and we had all these school props. And I remember 
asking them. <laughs> he was like, I wonder if they taste like they smell. It was just a big kid. Right. Um, so yeah, we had no idea. And when I went to see it, I saw it at the Hollywood Dome Theater. And it was shocking. I, I brought my mom and my grandma and my little sister. And my mouth literally was on the floor the entire film. It was just magical. And I had no idea what I got to be a part of. Even then, I could appreciate. You know, now the magnitude, forget it. But even then, it was just a treasure. It was really, really cool. Right, and then like the whole scene. I mean, you had like a small, you know, part, but it was you know, a pretty, you know, big, you know, moment in the movie. Um, like you yeah. were you know, a couple years older than Henry Thomas, and I think you were like at least a foot taller. Um, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So that whole scene was that kind of improvised, where um, Henry kind of put the kid like down and he stepped on them. Or was that something that was scripted? That was all Steven's improv. Okay. Totally. Because of the, first of all, I cried for like ten minutes in my trailer before I came out because I didn't want to kiss him. Right. So Steven came in and talked to me and my mom. <laughs> Henry was in a girl haters club at that time. <laughs> ten. Right. And so he had to talk to Henry, you know, smooth everything out. And Thomas has said it would be a closed set so that, you know, only the people that absolutely needed to be there would be there. And then when we were blocking it, it was just Steven's magic, you know, just kind of looking around the room, looking at the kids in the room, how it was all going to go down. And he goes, you, can you come here? And, you know, he, he knew it was, he was oh, so great that way. Um, but he goes, hi, can you do me a favor? <laughs> he goes, just. You know, when the frog comes, so you place it so that the frog is, like, passing the kid. The kid, like, gets on his knees to go after the frog. Or Henry pushes him down, and he goes after a frog, and Henry jumps up on him. I don't remember exactly how it went down, but the to- it was total imp- improvisation. It was um, really funny. Yeah, no, that, that was... that was great. moment. Yeah, t- totally, totally. Now, you're surprised, I mean, because... Now, now they make sequels and remakes of almost everything. Were you surprised that that movie didn't have like a sequel and now definitely a remake? Um, yes, no. And then what was that movie? And I actually went and thought, oh gosh, this is so irritating. My daughter and I went to see it, and I swear to you, it's, I think it definitely tried to be a ripoff, and it was the only one I ever saw. It was almost a, like exact similar storyline. Oh my goodness, what was it called? There was one movie not long ago, I feel like a handful of years, about a, a group of kids out in the desert and an extraterrestrial and the boy lets him go and it really was like, come on guys, you know. Right, yeah. um, so, but I'm not because it was so brilliant. You know, I know they redo pretty much everything, but I'm just so happy they didn't because why mess with perfection? You know, I agree. there are some yeah. things that are just so magical. Don't, don't touch it. There's yeah. very few of those movies in this world, actually, where they really haven't tried to remake them. And I'm, you know, they're classics, and that's one of them for sure. Right, I agree. I, I think it was Super 8, right? Was that the movie? No, no, no. it's got Super 8. Isn't that, isn't that the one with Baymax? And... No, no, no. Uh, uh, Big Hero 6. That's the one. Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, yes, then you're right. Yeah, yeah, it, it sounded familiar. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, that was a pretty good movie, but yeah, I, I can definitely see, you know, it was good. I similarities. Mean, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was cute, but it was very similar to me. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. That's the closest thing I feel that, you know, the big theaters that um, resembled E.T., the closest one. And yes, absolutely super eight. That is the one. Right. So now, um, like, after that, I know we talked about a little bit before, like, how the movie blew up. Now, did you want to kind of, like, maintain, like, a normal childhood up until, like, you want to finish high school and do that before, like, kind of branching you know, out into movie? I, 
it's funny. I'm only now literally um, in my late 40s where I'm of balance. <laughs> because <laughs> I've always kind of been that pendulum swinger. Um, you know, I really lived kind of a double life growing up as a kid. I mean, I struggled to fit in. Yet at the same time, I would throw myself out there. It was just in my blood. It was just part of what I needed to do. So I did want to pursue acting for sure for a very long time. And then I really wanted to just, like I said, kind of not stand out and just... I also, for many years, many years, call me, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, because Hmm. all throughout my acting career, I always threatened to quit. I literally... I went to real estate school for like 11 hours. Right. I went to college for three weeks, you know, and then to like the movie, um, to become a preschool teacher, um, you name it. I, I made right. beautiful wedding toast classes, and there was, you know, shop that wanted to buy them, so I thought, oh, this is great, I'll, I'll craft and sell my boutique stuff, and that was crazy, because I spent a fortune, and it took me like eight hours, and they wanted to buy them for $35, and I'm like, okay, that's not going to work, so. You know, I think I I have had a, a voracious appetite for diversity in my career and in my life. And I'm the same. Like, I'm always just wanting new change, like change. And I'm one of those people that loves change and likes to kind of mix it up. So, yeah, I, uh, I did want to pursue it. But I also wanted to pursue a whole lot of other things. I still do. Right, yeah, and you, you definitely had a, a diverse career. Um, now, I'm like a huge Charles in Charge fan, and I mean, you had you know a recurring role as uh, Scott Baio's girlfriend I for did. yeah for a couple episodes. <laughs> yeah, now and then all of a sudden you weren't there. Um, was that kind of like your decision to like leave the show, or did they kind of write you out just they wanted to pursue no, another? I, think, I feel like when I went into it, it was literally written as a three part arc. Okay. Yeah, if I recall, it was so long ago, but I'm pretty sure that that was just supposed to be what it was for right. the episode. Yeah. You know, especially on those shows, they constantly have to keep the guest stars fresh. Of right? course, yeah. Right, yeah, so it's, you know, they do those little bit love crying over whatever it's going to be, and then you're gone. So, um, yeah, it was just supposed to be for me. Right, yeah. I, I was working with uh, Scott Mayo. I loved working with the cast. I had a great time. It was really, really cool. Yeah, because, you know, unfortunately, you're hearing some things right now, whether they're true or not. You know, it's unfortunate, but just wanted to get your take on that. <laughs> I don't really have a take on that, Noel. You know, I am a big believer in, in standing up for yourself and using your voice when it's right for you. And, that, you know, I definitely am a person that stays out of drama, though. For sure. If it doesn't involve me, I'm not involved. And that's really been my take on pretty much, you know, unless I feel like I have a personal experience that I really feel like fit somebody. Right. Um, by speaking up and out, then, then I'm all over it. But otherwise, I stay out of it. I really don't have comment. And especially because I was there for three episodes, so, you know, I just did my thing. You know, they worked for years together, so I can't speak to me. Nicole is a friend of mine. She's a beautiful, wonderful woman, and um, I, you know, it's, for me, if she says something happened, then something happened, but I I have nothing to say about it. Right. So, you know what I mean? I really can't. I wasn't there. Yeah, no, it just, it's, it's, un- it's unfortunate. You know, I have it 
because they're kind of having their like you know Twitter feud, and you know it's like you don't know who to believe, but you know it's it's unfortunate. You oh know, yeah, I don't even bother. Yeah, I stay way smart. out of it. Yeah, <laughs> smart. Yeah. So then. It's why I left Facebook, quite frankly, just too much drama. I don't want to go onto my social media and be bombarded with cross-talk and all that kind of stuff, I just don't. Yeah. And that's a different situation, because that's a, you know, you, that's a totally different situation, because you have fighting for, you know, their their life, really, for right. them, so that's different. Yeah, all the, all that stuff, I just don't, yeah. don't for me. Right, no, I, I, I agree with you totally there. Now, I, I know you didn't work with Nicole on the show, but getting Baywatch, uh, how big a thrill was, was that show at first? Gosh. Baywatch was um, very different. When I first did the show, we were on NBC, which right. at the time was the most conservative network. We had to do everything by the book. Regulations, suits, I mean, everything had to be by the book because we also had a lot of sponsorship, too, because it was a super expensive show, which is why we ended up being canceled, by the way, too. I love telling that story because the <laughs> show did really great for NBC on Friday nights. I think it was 8.30. Right. But, um... It was too expensive, so they needed, the um, the network needed Grant Tinker, who owned it at the time, to come up with a lot of his own money per episode, and he ended up going belly up very shortly after all of that. So, um, but, you know, it was very different. We were the guinea pigs. We did the two-hour movie, and when we shot, we shot in the winter time. Um, we shot when the water was so cold that our lips were blue and they couldn't <laughs> use the footage. So they were like, hmm, maybe we should get tank next year if we go again. Um we were freezing, and they would use huge pinot lights on the beach to make it look sunny and then spray you down with water when it was so cold. They right. would come at you with the sprayers, and they would try so hard to keep the water warm, but they couldn't in those big tanks, and you'd be like, no. Yeah. And so you could look sweaty. They would spray you with the water, and it was um, the crew and the cast were amazing. It was like a big family. That was the best part of doing the show. It, the elements were difficult. Uh, I feel like when it went to syndication, my, for me, because I did two years the last year, it was definitely different because then you have more say-so. You know, they had more control once they got control back and once it was a pickup and a, a go again. So we were able to shoot in the summertime on, on the beach, you know, and, yeah. um, and get a tank, a water tank in a warehouse for that tight water stuff. And yeah, then it was, a, I feel like, a definitely a much more enjoyable experience. Right, and then the uh, the suits didn't have to be regulation that when it went to syndication, correct? Yeah, everything. Well, everything changed. It right. really became a very music montage and yeah. eye candy, and you know, it it became what it was known for, though, which you know, for them was amazing, it was wonderful. And Pamela Anderson came along, and she was perfect, 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 perfect to replace my character because she was the epitome of the show, what the creators wanted the show to be and what it ended up evolving into and she was so comfortable with that and so expressive and wonderful and it just was perfect. It was a perfect time for me to go and go on to do the films that I wanted to do and it was a, tr a terrific time for Pepola, you know, to break out cues and so it really went well. Right, now can you still run in slow motion? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that is not an easy task. Let yeah. me tell you, <laughs> there's an art to running in slow motion. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally. Now, um, before like getting Under Siege, which is an, uh, a totally you know fabulous movie, you uh, well you, you did Playboy before uh, Baywatch, correct? No, right. Kind of at the same time. Um, 
time. Okay. Actually. So about the time that Baywatch was going to be released, I Big Playboy would have been released. It kind of happened concurrently in a way. The way by the time you know the shooting gets done and then the filming gets done and pictures are done, that it just kind of worked out that way. That it was very um, on, on sort of parallel with each other. Right, and you, you mentioned how NBC was pretty conservative back then. Was there any kind of like backlash towards you for you know doing Playboy? No. Oh, no, I mean, I didn't hear from NBC at all. Um, Baywatch was thrilled. Of course, yeah. You know, Baywatch is happy. <laughs> it just helps the, all of that stuff. You right. know, it helps the show. So, yeah. So, no, it, it, it was celebrated, if anything. Yeah. And, and you did, like, what, four or five covers? Five covers. Yeah, I think that three went domestic. I shot five. Okay. We went domestic here. I don't know what happened with the other two, but every once in a while, I'll have someone send me, like, just, like, out of the blue... You know, they do so many things with that film. I mean, like, it, it could have been a cover you shot, or it actually also could have been other pictures that they used as a cover, but foreign cover, you know? So it's kind of fun to see where some of those end up. But yeah, I did shoot five. Right. And then kind of the, the theme kind of worked, the, that whole nautical thing, I think was like one of your first ones, kind of worked with um, doing Under Siege, correct? <laughs> that was very funny, because I... You know, for me, I, I have always looked at it at the time as Playboy um, as a job. Right. I didn't look at it as I'm a playmate, right? Because yeah. a lot of women sort of a career in being a playmate, which is wonderful if it works for you for sure. But right. I wanted a very serious film career. So I knew that it would probably create some obstacles for me. But, uh, you know, when you're in your youth, you also feel super invincible. <laughs> so I was right. like, whatever, I'll just deal with it and fight for it and work for it and... And so I didn't mention to anyone, you know, when I was auditioning for Under Siege, why would I? It was another job and a modeling job. How would it pertain to acting? I just never used it for that. So um, I went in and I auditioned quite a few times, a few, probably three, maybe three or four times for Under Siege. And we actually did an old, good old fashioned screen film test where they actually bring you to a studio with a real movie camera and um, see how you are on film. And, um, so we did all of that, and then it's funny, because the character, Jordan Tate, was a playmate, unbeknownst to me, right. the producers had called Playboy and said, we have an actress, they told them my name, and they said, um, you know, they gave them my stats, they said, can you please send us some, like, centerfolds of some girls that would kind of meet her stats so that we can kind of, you know, camera can pan quickly like it's her, you know, right. can, get a like catch a glimpse of it and they were like oh well why don't you just use hers and then it turned out to be an evil theme and they about died they were like what are the cameras this is beyond serendipitous and yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, it it is funny the universe has good laughs with us for sure right absolutely now um how much like you know obviously holding you know the gun and you know all those props how much training did you actually uh, have to go through um, for that, very little. I mean, on that film, we had amazing people. Right. Amazing people. Um, Navy SEALs and, you know, real deal guys there, um, along with the martial artists and all of that kind of stuff. But for me, I did not want a lot of training because Jordan Tate was supposed to hold the gun like a rat and not yeah. have any until right. she kind of catches on. So I didn't want too, too much. I just wanted to be a girl that knew it was sink or swim, literally, like, you figure this out now or you're going to die. And so it was more about the courage 
that she had. You know what I mean? Made her rise to the occasion, if you will, as opposed to... Now, I've, I've definitely had training on other films, yeah. playing a serial killer and things like that, where right. I've had some extensive training, and that's been amazing, but not so much for Under Siege. Right. How was working with uh, Steven Seagal? I mean, what is he now? Like, the... Russian, I don't know, envoy, whatever he is now, he's some, <laughs> some title, whatever, yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. I have no idea. Um, you know, it depended on his food, right. honestly. He always had a big entourage around him. Okay. So, it just depended, you know. On that day, I guess, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you worked with one of my all-time favorite actors, Tommy Lee Jones, and... uh Dang. Yeah, he's he, amazing. Yeah, so how, how was he to, to work with... <laughs> He was amazing. You yeah. know, he and Gary were crazy to watch together. Their right. dynamic was so yeah. just, like stellar together. They were just like spitfires, just improv and all the stuff they ad libbed and just crazy and they were super supportive of me. I was friends with both of them and and um I felt like they kinda took me under their wing, if you will. And on the day that I had to do like the cake scene which was not in the script originally. Okay. And I was not super thrilled about doing that. And I was upset. And they both sent me yellow roses, um, like the yellow rose of Texas, where, hmm. you know, Tommy's from. And right. Hang in there. And you're going to do great. And, you know, they're really great guys. And Tommy uh, Jones is very, he's a cowboy, man. He's yeah. a real <laughs> cowboy, literally. Like, he's a real cowboy. He has a cattle ranch in Texas. That's what he does. He's not super Hollywood, and he's very down-to-earth. He's a man with a few words, but he's cool. He's just a cool, cool guy. Yeah, he, he definitely, every role, he just, you know, exudes that that, that coolness, you know, no doubt. But um, you, you mentioned, yeah. you know, the cake scene. It's not even my favorite scene in the movie. My favorite scene with you is during the firefight, and you pick up the phone, and it's like, ah, he's, you know, in a little <laughs> firefight right now. He can't talk, you know? <laughs> it's like... I love that. I'm it's so it's so fun. That. Yeah, that's one of my favorite moments in the movie for sure. Yeah, it's, so Under Siege was a smash hit. Um, and they made the sequel, which was kind of disappointing. But was there any talk about having any more of the original cast in the movie? Um, at one point, I feel like. Um, a couple different things happened. I feel like at one point, one of the producers had come to me on set. My role was pretty small, and I'm so grateful, because I worked really hard at it. They kept making it bigger and bigger right. and bigger, which was really super complimentary and cool. And they talked about kind of doing a three-picture deal. Nothing came to fruition. Um, and then I feel like a years later, a good few, many years later, several years later, I got a call from Steven Seagal, who was talking about possibly doing a sequel and filming it overseas okay. in Asia somewhere. But yeah, and that just never happened. But, uh, but there was talk about it. It just never came about. Right. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. I mean, because I think the second one, I mean, did well enough to probably do a, another sequel because, you know, they always look to do nine million sequels to every, every franchise. But maybe, I don't know, maybe you just didn't want to do it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really can't speak to it because I haven't. I don't know. Right. But then after that, you um, kind of tackled an, a, a remake of a TV show, which was. Um, I I wasn't the biggest uh, Beverly Hillbilly fan back then, but the movie was it put me back onto the TV show. It was it was very funny. Uh, you did a great job with it. Um, how Thank you. yeah, playing um, Ellie Mae. That cast. 
cast was crazy. I mean, you don't have enough time to hear about that cast. Jim Varney was one of the most incredible, gentle, wonderful, intelligent, soft-spoken, opposite of earnest people on this planet. Just amazing. And Cloris Leachman and Lily Tomlin and Dabney Coleman, all the people. Oh, Dietrich Bader, Rob Schneider, Leah Thompson. Like, the cast was crazy, and I just went to work. That was my favorite project in... I don't know, since 35 years, 40 years that I've ever worked on was the Beverly Hillbillies from top to bottom. I loved every minute of it. And Penelope Penelope Spiris is an amazing director. I love her. She is a no BS chick for sure. Uh, We had our moment where, you know, she's tough, tough as nails, but she did such a good job. And and, uh, she was always fair with me. And yeah, I just had such a great experience. I really, really did. Yeah. Now, when you when you started filming, when the project was announced, was there any feedback like from the original cast? I think some people were still alive back then. No, I mean not that I know of. I I know that Donna. I think that Donna Douglas didn't really want to be involved. Okay. She could have, but I because I think they reached out to everybody who was alive. Right. Um, and obviously, Ben Justin did a little thing, and um, did Matt Spears? Now I'm blanking, but I know Donna did not want to. You said you're you're, you're kind of teaching uh, acting now. Um, how did you uh, get involved in that? You know that actually was already a few years ago. Now I, like I said, I keep moving. Okay. I writing. Um, I actually wrote a TV show that we started to get off the ground that didn't go anywhere. I wrote a kids book. I wrote a contributed a a chapter in a book with school with a bunch of different women from different walks of life, kind of how they got to where they are, and you know, for young people, kind of. So I did, like, writing, and that was really amazing, and I fell into teaching. Um, it came about, actually, from a friend of mine who called me and said, will you please teach classes for me? And I was like, you know, I'm kind of, because I was really phasing out of acting for a while trying to do something else. It was one of those moments, um, and wedding planning, I was all over the place, and um, they really, in a pinch, they needed me, they called back, literally, I don't remember when it was, but I came in, and I had such an amazing time and a great connection with the kids that I ended up teaching for this studio for five years, and now my manager, it's the same management who started me in this company, she has gone on and made another studio called My Tea. IT active studios, and I still do private lessons. But um, what was really cool, though, was in the midst of all of that, I had the opportunity to go and teach kids in rehab facilities. Oh, wow. Who struggling with, yeah, with substance um, abuse and behavioral issues. Um, and so I did that for three years at three different facilities, and that was mind-bending, you know, just incredible. And, and now I am... Um, super excited because I'm developing um, and co-producing and I will be hosting a reality TV show right now uh, called Write It Out. Okay. Basically, I'm segueing because it has to do with, though it will be adult, it has to do with uh, mental illness and oh, okay. um, helping people with various forms, you know, PTSD, domestic abuse, substance abuse, all kinds of things that they're suffering through. Um with equine assisted learning okay so horses and um 
the creator of the show, Hilda Keskin, brought this to me, and she's an amazing woman, and she and a guy by the name of Rex Williams, who has a small production company in California, we are doing this. We have Wanda Goldberg, she is, she was the host of Faithful Friends, she's actually married to Bill Goldberg, the um, wrestler turned actor, who's oh, yeah. doing really well, and yeah, so she's going to be um, on the show with us as well, so we're sort of in the middle of getting that really off the ground right now and so I am I'm doing that now hosting will be fun and I, I get to write and co-produce this show and that's my focus so but it's all about helping people that's that's the focus oh that sounds like an amazing project I definitely look forward to uh watching and hopefully you know becomes really successful but Erica this was great thank, thank you, you so much for a few minutes of your time uh best of luck and sure. uh take care And a special thanks to Erica for joining us today. You can follow her on Twitter at Erica Alaniac. Her website is realericaalaniacblog.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first Noel19. Be sure to like the page Reliving My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. The show can be found on SoundCloud. It can be found on Podbean. A new episode of Living My Youth comes out every Wednesday. Special thanks to everyone who's listening. I can't do it without you guys. And I'll talk to you soon.